0: Revelation, the 22nd chapter, I'll be reading the entire chapter, but uh, just focusing on the first uh, five verses. The word of the Lord. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly, blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, see thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God, and he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still, and he that is righteous, let him be righteous still, and he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst, Come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Well, we have... uh, rather patiently gone through, verse by verse, the book of Revelation um, for some time, and we are now in the very final chapter of the final book of the Bible. And we're, uh, we did kind of an uh, overview last time we looked at this and did uh, the first verse about the river of the water of life, so we're not going to dwell on that one today you missed any of the series in the book of Revelation, they're all on SermonAudio.com. Now, chapter, by the way, chapter 21 and chapter 22, verses 1 to 5, really should be all one chapter. Uh, there's no break in the narrative, or there's no break in the subject matter. And, uh, of course, the chapters and verses were added later, and uh, this is one of those cases in the Bible where uh, it probably wasn't done as well as it should have been. Uh, Now, this passage that we uh, are looking at today in the uh, 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation, the first five verses, is the most richly detailed description of what life will be like in the New Jerusalem or the New Earth uh, in the most most detailed description in the Bible. It comes at the end of the preceding account of the persecutions of the church, which we've looked at leading up to the final day, when Christ will appear in the sky and everyone will see him. Uh, The graves will be opened. Uh, Everyone, uh, whether dead or living, will be given resurrection bodies, whether whether they're part of God's elect or not. Uh, They will be given resurrection bodies. The uh, gods elect will ascend into the air to meet Christ, while the reprobate will remain on the earth to be judged and found guilty and consigned to the lake of fire uh, with the devil and his fallen angels forever. And then the earth will be recreated to the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, It will be the new home of the triune God uh, who will dwell with his people forever. Now that's what we know of what our lives will be like eternally, what we have to look forward to. Um, So the book of Revelation ends with a a wonderful scene and a wonderful promise. Um, Now the Apostle John is speaking about the city of New Jerusalem, uh, and he talks about this city having uh, the tree of life which bearing 12 manner, or uh, actually manner is not, uh, as we'll see, not a good word to be used there, but uh, it's italicized probably in your Bible, if you're looking at the King James. The Words in italics are put in by translators to make it flow better, but not necessarily. That, that means it wasn't in the original, uh, at least in the in the manuscripts they're using. Uh, uh, they added it just to make it flow better and give the sense to it. And most of the time, that's a that's very good very good thing. Uh, if you've ever seen a literal Bible, or if you know uh, Greek, uh, particularly from the New Testament, uh, and you read it, uh, it's very wooden. Uh, very, uh, it's it's literal, but it's it's doesn't it doesn't flow. It, it, it it's difficult to to grasp in many many cases. Um, so there's nothing wrong with uh, adding a word here and there if it's if it's shown in the italics that this word has been added just to make. And if you don't want to if you want to ignore that word, you're perfectly, willing, you know, perfectly fine to do that. This is one case where we should ignore it, manner. Uh, But we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, the uh, great theologian uh, Henstenberg <clears throat> comments on uh, on this. All of the images reach back to paradise lost, what we've just read about. The garden in Revelation 22 reminds one of Genesis. And in Genesis, the garden is not a poetic device, as some Liberal theologians will tell you. But a reality, I mean, it happened in human history. There was a Garden of Eden uh, concerning which the historian gives information, John. um, And we have a garden in in glory. I remember we preached about, uh, I preached about the uh, uh, tree of life coming down uh, uh, from heaven And uh, that uh, the tree of life uh, still is uh, in paradise. Uh, That was in the Garden of Eden. Symbolically, of course, that was Christ, as we'll see in a a few minutes. Uh, The tree of life, well, the tree of life, I'm talking about it now, the tree of life is an emblem of Christ. Uh, Christ gives life. Uh, In Song of Solomon, Chapter 2, As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Uh, the tree of life symbolizes Christ, Christ giving eternal life. Uh, the river of the water of life, which we read in verse 1, symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Uh, if, if, you, uh, if you remember uh, John, the Gospel of John chapter 7, he that, Christ said, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But then it goes on It says, but this he spoke of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. So the spirit is living water, and we see water, the river of the water of life here. Uh, In the Garden of Eden, uh, the tree, of course, represented eternal life, the eater of which never die. Um, And uh, John, uh, John, the Lord says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath eternal life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And it goes on in in John 6, The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto him, unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed, so that he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So it's bread, it's the tree of life, it's the water, the spirit. uh, It's all all emblematic. Um, Christ, you remember in Revelation 2, saying to the church of Ephesus, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So we have to hunger and thirst after Christ and His righteousness, as it, as it says elsewhere in Scripture. Um, in, in Matthew five, in fact, uh, Christ said exactly that same thing: the Lord's people, the, Lord, the people of the Lord, their hunger and their thirst will be satisfied, uh, will be quenched by the river of the water of life and by the tree of life. Uh, salvation is life, and it's described as the fruit of a tree, the tree of life, which. Uh, should remind you of, of Genesis, and uh, as I said, in the, in the, the tree of uh, they had the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which Adam and A- Eve ate from. Um, the tree is also prophesied in by Ezekiel. If you want to turn to Ezekiel chapter forty-seven, uh, as we know the. Much of the Bible, excuse me, much of the book of Revelation is essentially a commentary and an expansion on, on the Old Testament, particularly, uh, particular Old Testament books like Ezekiel, um, Isaiah, Daniel, um, uh, Zechariah, uh, and a few others. But in Ezekiel chapter 47, right after Jeremiah, by the way, if that helps you. Ezekiel 47, beginning in verse 12, you'll see very familiar language. We've often seen this as we go through Revelation. We go back and see where those words were used in the Old Testament. In chapter chapter 47, verse 12, "...and by the river upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed." It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary and the fruit thereof shall be for meat and the leaf thereof for medicine. That sounds almost exactly like what we just read in Revelation. Ezekiel is describing the tree of life, Christ, who is both meat and drink to his people. Uh, Franciscus Junius wrote, uh, wrote that, uh, that. that and Junius wrote, as you know, the uh, uh, notes in the Geneva, original Geneva Bible to the book of Revelation. Uh, and he said that uh, Ezekiel is ascribing the tree of life, Christ both meat and drink to his people. Now John calls it trees. We'll go back to uh, Revelation 22. John says uh, the tree of life. Okay, Pure river water of life in the midst of the tree. On either side was there the tree of life. Uh Yet, he also says, in the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river was there, the tree of life, etc., etc., etc. That, as far as, and I, I, I'll remind you that I'm depending a lot on the old uh, reform commentators. Uh, the um, when, I, when I give you, a, I'll try to, give you the sites for these interpretations because uh, they are, I look for what has predominantly been the view of the, of the great Reformed theologians throughout history from the, from the Reformation and sometimes even before the Reformation, uh, Wycliffe and, and others, as to what these things mean. And if, if I see the preponderance, that's what I try to give you. If I see splits, I'll say, well, some say this and some say this other thing. Uh, but here, uh, most of them say it should be read as many trees all giving life, uh, It's uh, it, the reason it says tree, it's, it's sort of, if you were to look up in the encyclopedia under what is a live oak tree, uh, it would say something like, well, the live oak tree is characterized by, and it would have a list of its characteristics. Now, you wouldn't think, well, it says the live oak tree, so there must only be one in the world. No, that would be silly. You know what it means. Well, it should, this should be read the same way. Um, this is, we are to read the tree of life, which bears 12 manner of fruits, et Tree of life is now multiplied. Uh, it's because it's, it it's says it's on the midst of the street and on either side of the river. The tree of life was there. Well, it's many trees. Um, it is multiplied uh, into a grove of trees. Uh, Herman Bovink, in his book, Reformed Dogmatics says, The whole creation is liberated, and the vegetable and plant world will also participate therein. So there yeah, so there'll be the vegetable and plant world will be redeemed as well. They suffered from the curse, and they will be redeemed as well. Uh, life is all around. The tree of life fills the new earth. Now it bear twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. Literally, in the Greek, it says producing twelve fruits. Um, Albert Barnes and others say twelve fruit harvests. It should be read as the word manner is not even there in the Greek. And as you say, it's an italicized. The idea is abundance, abundance, not variety. The supply of fruit never fails. Reminded me of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, long suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. Um, Francis Nigel Lee commented on, on, very interesting. Francis Nigel Lee has some fascinating. Uh, insights and, and theories about uh, the life on the new earth. You know, we'll, what will we eat? And what will we do? And what will our li- lives be like? And he's got some very interesting, I, I commend uh, some of his uh, lectures and sermons on that. He says, time itself on the new earth, uh, I'm on this verse uh, where the, the tree is yielding its fruit every month, trees, will then have deepened at its consummation. This does not mean that time will therefore no longer exist to the contrary, man is essentially non-eternal and time-bound. He is always under time, but time will never again be wasted, and boredom will be unknown. Moreover, created time will then be per- perfected. formation week time with its solar demarcation will have become consummated in post-solar time. He thinks about things like this. I've never thought about post-solar time. For the tree of life will then keep on yielding its fruit every month twelve times per, quote, year. Then there shall be no night nor sunlight and his servants shall serve him all the time while they keep on reigning forever and ever. For time that first and most mysterious of all of God's many creatures will then wonderfully have been perfected. So I always thought time would go out of existence but Dr. Lee says no. Um, I don't think we anybody knows for sure but uh, it does mean that in the new earth we shall have perpetual happiness. Uh, Revelation seven sixteen: They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Doctor Lee says also it is via that cursed tree on Calvary. Christ was hung on a tree, as King James says. It is via that cursed tree on Calvary that we now have blessed access to the tree of life. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, simply saying not only the fruit but the leaves give health and life as well. Of course, there won't be any sickness or death in the new earth, but it means that those in the new earth will have been healed of their spiritual wickedness and that even the leaves give our medicine as as we just read uh, in Ezekiel. Third verse, Revelation 22, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him. Now the curse, of course, is the uh, sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, that has come down to us uh, in the Garden of Eden, remained on us, uh, bringing all manner of sorrow and death. But the curse will not exist in the new earth. Um Hensenberg writes, quote, Because there is no more curse, the gracious presence of God and of Christ shall no longer be liable to such a withdrawal as of old. When it was said to the Jews as the curse began to alight on them, Matthew 23, Jesus said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And so he does virtually speak from time to time to his church. Because uh, he, warns, he warns his church, unless you repent quite often, I will leave you for a season. Uh, but that will not be the case in the new earth. The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in the new Jerusalem, and his servants shall keep on serving him. See, we're going to have res- res- resurrection bodies. We're going to eat. We're going to drink. Uh, we'll do everything to the glory of God. We'll have duties to serve God, uh, reigning with him. Verse 4, they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Well, of course, God is spirit, and he doesn't have a fleshly or material face. We know that. So we will never see the triune God face to face, for we are creatures, even in the new earth. We're still creatures, uh, and he is the creator. But we will, from time to time, see the creaturely face of the fully divine Lord Jesus Christ. According to his created human nature, remember he ascended into heaven in his human resurrected body. So we will be with him there. Um, we shall, First John four two. We shall see him as he is. See, we, we often think of this as some foggy spiritual thing where we're floating around and you know everything is foggy. it not be like that. It'll be more real the, than it is right here. More, more on God's face in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Could have ended with just glory of God, but he goes on and says, give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And more broadly, to see God's face means to enjoy his favor. Ankstonbert says, To behold God's face presupposes that God's face is turned toward him, person, that God's eye looks on him in his uprightness, just as it is said of God that he hides his countenance when he withdraws his favor and help. So he is said to turn toward us his countenance when he shows himself gracious. To see God or God's face, therefore, is nothing else than to enjoy the divine favor, to experience the friendship of God, to be assured of his love and throughout to obtain deliverance from the hands of our enemies. Thomas Brightman, in his commentary of 1644, the the plain meaning is that there shall be so great simplicity and purity of God's worship that he shall seem to converse with men most familiarly, as it were, face to face. So he puts it in the context of worship. When you think about it, in the new earth, that is what we are doing. We are worshiping God constantly. Now, that doesn't mean we're in a church service constantly worshiping God. We're worshiping God through our service to him, through our constant uh, giving him glory. Uh, but everything we do in the new earth is worshiping God. Uh, just in the lesson, of course, in what we do on earth now. Uh, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Well, that's a form of worship. You know, doing our job uh, as, as to the Lord rather than for men is worship. Is an act of worship. Work is an act of worship. Doing your schoolwork is an act of worship. Obeying your parents, you're worshiping God. And his name shall be in their foreheads. Breitman says, and not on men only, but holiness to the Lord shall be written even upon the horse bells. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. And He's referring to Zechariah. Fourteen twenty, in that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. So we've uh, looked at the uh, several times at the meaning of God's name written on the forehead. It's symbolic that one is of Christ. Uh, they and. We talked about how people were tattooed and it goes back to the ancient times where people had a tattoo on their forehead or on their arm or on their wrist showing what God they served or the name of their emperor or the name of the general just as I am of that, of that group. Uh, well, we are of Christ's group. Uh, we are of Christ's body and we will have his name written on our forehead. Um, we were already marked with the name of the triune God. It goes, it goes to baptism as well. What do we do when we baptize? We put the water of baptism on the forehead, don't we? So we are marking that child as a child of God, putting God's name spiritually on their forehead. So we're already marked with the name of the triune God in holy baptism when we are engrafted into the visible church while still living on this earth. But in glory, we will keep on bearing that name into all eternity. We shall live in the way baptized people should by eating and drinking, and doing everything to the solely to the glory of God. Revel, it goes back. Uh, one thing, one way, it goes back to Revelation three twelve. Him that overcometh, while I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name, Christ speaking. So then even on the new earth, all Christians who have previously been baptized in the name of the triune God will always be aware of him, uh, even when they are thinking in in their thought process. Uh, uh, Abraham Kuyper, in his uh, work from the Decrees of Dort, uh, says the Apostle John wrote, I heard the number of those who had been sealed in Revelation 7:4. 4 Kuyper explains this idea of understanding the sacraments as a seal, remember I mentioned baptism, is taken from Scripture itself. In Romans 4:11, we read of the following of the patriarch Abraham, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of faith. In the sacrament of holy baptism, we are dealing with a sign that seals. Whenever one thinks this is still uh, Kuyper, Whenever one thinks about this deeply, one then also realizes how it can be said in Revelation 7, too, that even God the King has such a seal. And Revelation 22 and uh, verse 4 and also verse 10 mentions sealing. And Kuyper also writes, The chief a- aspect of baptism is that it is the seal of the living God unto incorporation in the covenant of grace. God indeed has su- just such a seal. This seal is stamped upon the elect. And of course, we receive the Holy Spirit as a seal as well. Okay, we're moving on to verse, final verse 5, which we're going to look at today. In Revelation 22, And they sh- there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. I was writing this, I was reminded of 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Verse 12, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. So there won't be any night there. There won't be any seeing darkly, but we will see see him face to face. There shall be no night there. So the night is symbolic of the absence of God's blessings, just as uh, in Job 5 it's described as the reprobate who have not the blessing of God they, in verse 14, they meet with darkness in the daytime and grope in the noonday as in the night. So there's a spiritual darkness. Of course, we, we know of Satan being the power of darkness. Uh, uh, so it's, it's the absence of God's blessing. Night is evil, uh, in spiritually speaking. In John's Gospel in John 9, Jesus says, The day is the time of grace and salvation. The night is symbolic of when it is withdrawn. Jesus said, "I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work." In in John eleven seven, saith he to his disciples, "Let us go into Judea once again." His disciples say unto him, "Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again?" Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walks in the night, he stumbles, because there is no light in him. In other words, he's telling him there's no danger for him. He said, Well, don't go there, because there's danger. He said, There's no danger for me, because it's still spiritually light. There will be a time, though, Jesus said, when, when spiritual darkness will come, and, of course, when he went to the cross. Uh, In John 13, Judas, then having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. That means more than just the sun had gone down. In Job 30, good is equated with light, evil with darkness. In verse 26, when I looked for good, then evil came unto me, and when I waited for light, there came darkness. Psalm 107 such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death being bound in affliction and iron. There's another reference to darkness is the shadow of death. Because Going on Psalm 107, verse 11, because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. And of course, you probably are thinking too of John, the first chapter. Speaking of Christ, in him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Many, many references to darkness and light, spiritually speaking, and what they mean. I'll give you another one, Romans 13. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. And uh, finally, 1 Thessalonians 5. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. See, when the presence of the Lord is withdrawn, night and darkness, spiritual bondage comes on the soul. We've all experienced that, sometimes very severely. We feel the Lord has withdrawn his favor. We feel alone, and it can be a terrible, terrible, lonely feeling. We feel that the Lord has withdrawn his presence. That's the, the time of spiritual night. And it also applies to those who reject Christ. Thank the Lord. at Those times in our life are just temporary, and and then we we the Lord is testing us. The Lord is teaching us. The Lord is is molding us. You know they they say diamonds are are lumps of coal produced under tremendous pressure. And that's what the Lord is doing. You know, the pressures of life are the hands of the potter, and so sometimes we have these spiritual times of darkness, spiritual night, but uh, He refreshes us after we have. Learned what we are to learn, but it uh, the spiritual night applies to men who reject Christ completely. They are always in darkness. Uh, it applies to churches that become apostate. Uh, it applies to nations who refuse His lordship. They are given over to Satan and the powers of darkness. Okay, let's quickly go through the rest of this verse. They'll sh- uh, well, I will say. Well, let me, let me just quote uh, Thomas Goodwin again. His uh, commentary: "Be comforted, O believer, in the hope of heaven, and holily long to be there. There is no night nor corruption there. The heart is stayed there. His servants serve him without complaining or worrying, and the more holy, and be the more holy submissive, for that endeth all complaints and fully puts out the body of death. There shall be no night there." Finally, they shall reign forever and ever. The end of verse 5. They shall reign forever and ever. Christ conquers the whole earth for the Father, and then he brings his bride, the church, to live and reign with him in the earth made new. Uh, Dr. Lee says, even from the description of the New Jerusalem, it appears that the elements continue to exist. There's a book uh, called Jesus Christ and Cultural Life by a man named Klaus Schilder. He says, Paradise, the Garden of Eden, was the beginning. Everything was already there in principle in order for it to develop into a consummated world where we shall reign with him. But a historical process of many centuries is needed for it to come to a full-grown state. It was to make the service of God again possible for man. We are not perfect, but we are being consummated, we are being made into perfect creatures. In heaven, in the new earth, we will be perfect uh, in our resurrected bodies. Uh, And uh, Schilder says, Perfect men, men are not yet perfect, but in principle they exist. They exist from the very moment Adam bowed in faith under the first promise of the gospel. And they are coming and increasing and becoming the great multitude which no man can number, the multitude of those sanctified by God in Christ. How different is the new earth and all that we've seen here in conclusion from the teachings of the Koran, for example, their paradise only appeals to the base, sensual, carnal nature of man, or the speculations of, of philosophers. You know, the greatest good for the greatest number—John Stuart Mill—or um, you know, the greatest good is personal happiness. Whatever makes you the happiest—that's that's the ultimate moral morality, uh, or or worshiping an idol of some sort, whether it's an idol of stone or it's some religious ritual that you think that this is how you uh, get to God, uh, or you know your idol is money or fame or whatever it may be, those are still all carnal, gross ideas of the highest life. And they demonstrate what Jesus said in John 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Without God's revelation in the Bible we are unable to know what happiness is. You know, reprobate man can read the words. He can memorize the Bible. Remember, Satan can quote the Bible better than any man who ever lived. But unless God regenerates a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl, you can't understand the words of the Bible. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural man, the unsaved man, receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And if if the Spirit doesn't enlighten you when you read the Bible, it will will not make sense to you, you will not understand it. So faith is a gift of God, not of works. So the book of Revelation has shown us a glimpse of what awaits us and its eternal life with Christ with our brothers and sisters in him, I fully believe that we will see our loved ones who died in the Lord there. And uh, we'll talk about maybe our pets at some point. Uh, I have some ideas about that. Uh, But I fully believe that we will see our loved ones, we will see the saints that we read about, uh, saints of God, of the church, uh, people from the scriptures. That's why it's so important to know history, to know Christian history, the history of the church. Because when you get to the new, new, new heaven and new earth, you know, you'll see Enoch. Maybe you'll have the opportunity to talk to him. Well, who is Enoch? You won't, you know, you won't get some magical information about Enoch. You've got to learn who Enoch is now so be able to talk with him. I mean, it's just, uh, it's fabulous. So what we've been shown is just a glimpse, yet it gives us assurance of what we've not yet been shown. Let we close with 1 Corinthians 2.9. Just hang on to this. Just hang on to this. I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him.